This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We give you all the viral stories that are just about to drop. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. If you keep scrolling, 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 and you're never gonna stop, then please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. From stupid songs and dances, all the cultural advances, we will cover them from bottom to the top. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please, I promise you'll appease our please, oh please, you please don't let this flop. Hi, I'm EJ Dixon. And I'm Brittany Spanos. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop. A podcast about TikTok brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where millennials talk about teens, but not in a weird way. So, EJ, how are you? I'm fine. You doing good today? I'm fine. I wanted to let you know that I tried the ice hack. Oh, you did? I wanted to do a little callback to last week. So, Emily Mariko's uh, ice hack with the salmon. How was it? Very effective. Honestly, the best way to reheat rice specifically what, what exactly did it do what was the it literally steamed it so it's not like gross dry reheated second day rice and it makes it taste fresher did you do it with salmon yeah i did get salmon I and the slurged. seaweed roll what about the mayo where'd you find the mayo i didn't find the mayo it was sold out everywhere what like, kind I of mayo is it Cupy mayo it's like an umami flavored mayo wow that's like and, way too advanced for me. Yeah, it was sold out on my my grocery store, so it was a little upsetting. But I did do like sriracha, soy sauce, did a little like regular mayo just to kind of get the texture. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. Tastes tastes like a, a bowl of salmon and rice with a bunch of stuff on it. Did it blow your mind? Um, the ice did. The ice hacked it because I really thought it was going to melt. I was like, my microwave is going to melt this, but it did not. Give it a letter grade. Um, you know, I, I, I would give it like a an A minus mm-hmm. in that it's a very good lunch, but it's like nothing crazy. Nothing like, you know, didn't reinvent the wheel. We stand the ice hack and we also in this house love and stand ABBA. And if you've been scrolling through your For You page often this past year, you'll notice that a lot of Gen Zers also love ABBA, like a lot. So ABBA actually recently joined TikTok, and one of the first videos they posted on September 1st is the outro to Chikatita, which has 21.2 million views. Take a listen. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's the, uh, was it Benny or Bjorn who was playing that? I actually don't know the difference between the two of them, especially. <laughs> it's kind of the beauty of ABBA's that they're all just generic, interchangeable white people. Yeah, I've, I've never, it's one of those things where I love ABBA so much, but I genuinely have never learned their individual names. Mm-hmm. It's a, a thing that I've. I've just dismissed. I think... Because they're just collectively ABBA. I think I know their names. 
Okay. I think. So who who do you think that was? I did, that was either. Well, I can't distinguish them. I just know their name. <laughs> you said it's either the two guys that are yes. in there. <laughs> it's either Benny or Bjorn. No, but I'm trying. And I think. And then there's Agnetha, and yes. then and then there's a fourth one, Annie Freed. Yeah. Annie Freed. And, and Annie Freed is the blonde one. Oh, she is. Okay. Or, I don't Freed know. Is, I'm just asking. I think Annie Freed is the brunette one. And yes, Annie Freed is the brunette one and Agnetha is the blonde one. And they okay. all slept with each other. And I oh, think so that's, married that's each other. Benny. Yeah, so this is what I do know about Abba is that they, it's very similar to Fleetwood Mac, which we'll get yes. to in a second. But like they were two married couples in the band, completely split off. I, I again, don't know which one was married to which, but like <laughs> it's irrelevant. It was literally two married couples who got divorced during their peak, and so a lot of the songs on their last few albums are literally about their divorces. Like Abba songs are very sad breakup songs, and so you have songs like "Knowing Me, Knowing You," mm-hmm. which is a divorce song written by like the two dudes in the band about going through pretty much almost simultaneous divorces to their bandmates, which is kind of insane. And the winner takes it all, right? Is also a divorce song. Yeah. Yeah. So there it's like kind of wild because if you look back at it, this huge band, which again, <clears throat> similar to Flea Mac, where their biggest album comes from two breakups happening simultaneously and then they stay in the band together, hating each other. But ABBA was, you know, just Swedish Fleetwood Mac. Like they literally were going through these two divorces. And, I mean, if we saw last year, you know, for Fleetwood Mac, they had the big success with Dreams. But that was really their only only big song that was taking off. It was a huge, huge song on TikTok. But it was, you know, the one song that took off. There have been multiple ABBA songs that have taken off. I don't know if you've noticed this, too, over the last year, where you've mm-hmm. heard, like, crazy number of of ABBA songs. So the one that we just heard was Chikatita. Great song. And the piano outro that now we have established Benny was playing on the piano has been sort of this like transition trend. I've seen it for a lot of travel photos. I don't know what you've seen it for on your For You page, but I've seen a lot of people be like, remember when I was in Italy? And then it like, once that piano becomes like more of a flourish, then it's suddenly like all these beautiful photos of them. I've seen it for literal place. transition videos, like like yeah. of kids transitioning. And honestly, it's like really, like I've I've probably cried a couple times like yeah. watching them. It's really very powerful with that music. And then of course, Dancing Queen. I mean, why wouldn't that take off on TikTok? And Gimme 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 a Man After Midnight, also used in Madonna's Hung Up. With you, we all know that sample. Um, They've been used a lot. I've seen a lot of beauty and fashion clips set to them. I've seen a lot of like dancing trends. Oh, we we haven't we didn't talk about um <clears throat> uh lay all your love on me that trend mm. with um the, that with the girls coming out of the ocean like Amanda yeah. Seyfried and Mamma Mia that <laughs> was then co opted. So girls were like, I saw one video where this girl was rolling around in a puddle on like the Lower East Side to lay yeah. all your love on me, which was pretty funny. Yeah, and lately I've been seeing Slipping Through My Fingers, which is a pretty deep cut ABBA song. Slipping through my fingers all the time I try to capture every minute The feeling in it Slipping through my fingers all the time mm-hmm. um, This has been specifically the version 
sung by Meryl Streep and Amanda Seyfried in the Oscar-robbed film, Mamma Mia. <laughs> you can't even joke about that. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm literally not joking. Where are the Oscars? Oscars for what? Os- for who? I, okay, for listen, everyone. I love, I love Mamma Mia. I'm a, we'll talk about this. Like, I love Mamma Mia, but like, you cannot, Oscar, like, who deserved the Oscar there? Every single person in that film. Pierce. Pierce Brosnan deserved an Oscar. There should have been three Best Supporting Actor awards <laughs> given simultaneously to all three of the guys. And where's Christine Bransky's Oscar for it? I don't know. <gasps> I can't where's believe Where's Oscar for it? Where's Best Original Song, even though the songs came out, like, decades ago? Where is it? I can't believe I'm listening to you say that. What about the director who basically just got the entire cast drunk on Uzu the entire time? Like, where's his Oscar? He did the work that needed to be done. So Abba, Abba made a resurgence with Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia 2, which I hope we'll talk about because I, I think Mamma Mia 2 is arguably better than Mamma Mia 1. Um, but why are they making a resurgence on TikTok now specifically? I mean, it's kind of crazy because, I mean, with Fleetwood Mac, right, the there was a lot of more apparent reasons why dreams would come back. Stevie Nicks performs with Harry Styles and Lana Del Rey and Fleetwood Mac still active. Um, people still care because the, the breakups are still very much a, a part of their modern narrative as well as the past narrative. But ABBA broke up in 1982 and up until a month ago were completely inactive. Like other than doing work on Mamma Mia and some solo stuff like ABBA as a band, that was in the past. The music was in the past. There was no new songs coming through. And I think for millennials, there's a lot of reasons. Um, you know, Mama Mia came out when we were pretty young. Um, there was the tribute band 18s in the 90s, which we had. But yeah, I think those were, for us, what helped grow it. But for Gen Zers, I think really it's been Mama Mia becoming really popular and becoming a cult classic. Uh, Mama Mia 2, which features Cher, who's still so popular and I think really boosts the film so much um, and has remained popular with various generations of people. And of course, like disco in the seventies are still have a, they still have a grip on people stylistically in music. There was a huge disco resurgence and seventies resurgence last year and ABBA, not totally disco. I mean, I, I feel like I could hear an argument for why they're disco and I would trust it, but they're very adjacent to that style of music in that it was corny from the seventies and like more authentic quote unquote music heads really disparaged it. And I feel like people are sort of giving it a second life now and like appreciating the musicality and like the brilliance and the lyrics, which are typically pretty dark. And ABBA is no different from that where it's like the songs are pretty dark. Like they have a lot of, a lot of dark breakup songs that are soundtracked by this, you know, amazingly bright music. And that's also become super popular in the last decade. Robin, Taylor Swift, Carly Rae Jepsen have all taken notes from ABBA and those are all really big artists. Yeah, I think it's the kind of thing, and it's interesting that this is a Rolling Stone podcast and Rolling Stone kind of has a reputation for being quote unquote rockist. Um, I feel like my parents' generation you, you know, they would definitely refer, my father would definitely refer to ABBA as disco. Yeah. And ABBA was very much disparaged, you know, at the time, even though they were huge all over the world, like they didn't have, 
a rapidly devoted fan base and they weren't considered authentic in the way that like, you know, David Bowie fans were or, Mm -hmm. you know, even Bruce Springsteen fans. Uh, They weren't considered as having artistic integrity. And I think as we've sort of been shifting away from that view that pop music can't really have artistic integrity and, um, you know, sort of embracing people like Taylor Swift, who are, you know, extremely highly respected singer-songwriters, but also have very strong pop sensibilities that, frankly, wouldn't exist without ABBA. Right. Um, I think that they've really, I think this is kind of the perfect time for them to be taken seriously as artists. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's the music plus the style. Like, that style has remained super relevant. It's so funny to see the way that people interpret the 70s in fashion and beauty, like, I feel like when we were kids and teenagers, like it was the boho kind of like late 60s, 70s sort of hippie culture was really big. And you know, like you think of like that 70s show and that was sort of like the style. And now we're in the Studio 54 era of glam and beauty and hair trends. And so I see so many of these like beauty and hair videos set to ABBA songs where people are kind of doing their best like studio 54 disco night vibes and abba was a super glam band like they dressed up they had these ridiculous outfits they had you know the girls had great hair like it was just a big part of it so we're seeing that we're seeing also you know more than a woman by the bgs is really huge on tiktok we're seeing all these like 70s groups that music critics like like rolling stone and a lot of other sort of again quote-unquote authentic music lovers kind of didn't didn't care for didn't respect in the way that millennials and gen zers really love and care about i want to i want to go back to the fact that abba um you know they broke up in 1982 and sort of their tumultuous history mm-hmm. i heard a rumor because they're because they are working together now again yes right so i yeah. i heard a rumor that some billionaire offered them like a billion dollars to reunite in like 2007 or something for one, for a tour, like a worldwide tour. And they hated each other so much that they said no. (laughs) Is that true? I actually don't know, but I also wouldn't doubt that. I feel like a lot of bands sort of stick to their guns that way because when you're touring with someone, you really have to just stay with them. But it also probably wouldn't have been the right time. Like I think also, the, the thing about ABBA and even their reunion now is that they sort of recognize that there are, there's a right and there's a wrong way to do a reunion. So the music that they're making, they just released two new songs. They have a new album coming out in November. Uh Sounds like ABBA. Like they're not trying to keep up the trends. They're not working with new producers. Like the music literally just sounds like it came out in 1982. They didn't break up. And that is the album they released. Like those songs could be in Mamma Mia 3 when when we're ready for it. They probably Um, will be, honestly. Probably will be. Those movies made a lot of money. And even with their re- reunion, they're not going on a tour. They literally have ABBA Arena in London that they're building. And George Lucas did, like, motion capture on them to, like, make these digital avatars to be of their younger selves. But they've done all the performance. So it's it's really just, like, hologram culture. But it's going to be a residency at the ABBA Arena in London. So they're like, people don't even, they're like, we, people don't want to see us our age now perform they want to see younger ABBA do all the big hits in an arena why should they go like yeet themselves on tour and just have like a younger hologram residency in London which I'm absolutely about to pay a lot of money to go to I did you prefer Mamma Mia 2 or Mamma Mia 1 
I prefer Mamma Mia 2 because I would die for Cher. <laughs> they only gave her one verse of Super Trooper at the end. It's so infuriating. And they gave her Fernando with Andy Garcia, which is like the hottest duet in the world. like she should have just sung that all by herself honestly <laughs> but do you were you bothered by the fact that Cher is only like what is it like three years older than Meryl Streep no were you bothered by the fact that the movie's timeline makes absolutely no sense no <laughs> okay glad we established that <laughs> and neither should the academy have cared about it <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com podcast for your free trial monarchmoney.com slash podcast no i don't think you understand i'm obsessed so now it's time for uh no you don't understand i'm obsessed uh the segment where we talk about just the random shit that we're obsessed with and this has been all over every social media for me but especially tiktok and you know a, a lot of people like to say that everything that they've learned about machine gun kelly and megan fox has been against their will but <laughs> For me, I have been force-feeding myself literally all of the cringe content this insane pop-punk couple of my dreams keeps cooking up. Like, all of it. I'm all over their Instagrams. Like, any meme on Twitter, I'm eating it up. It's hilarious to me. So, last week, a GQ-style spread written by Molly Lambert featured a bunch of really, really horny black-and-white photos of them with their mouths, like, nearly touching, Megan holding a, a gun to Machine Gun Kelly's crotch, And even more incredible than the photos were the interview and all the absolutely unhinged and instantly iconic quotes from the pair about how they met and what their relationship is like. And it has led to one of my fave trends I've seen in a minute. So let's take a listen to user Uneven Melon's video. It's ecstasy and agony for sure. I don't want people to think anything's perfect with us. I didn't say it was the (laughs) darkest fairy tale for no reason. There's also the demonic side. Even our first kiss, she wouldn't kiss me. 
We just put our lips in front of each other and breathed each other's breath, and then she just left. So, okay, explain, explain. Those quotes being read are real quotes from the interview. Those are not made-up quotes. Those are not someone, you know, it's not like the SNL sketch that featured Pete Davidson where they were, like, pretending to be Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. That's really what those two said about each other. And the music you may recognize from our Twilight episode, a lot of callbacks in this episode, um, a week, a few weeks ago, where the music is Bella's Lullaby. So it has completely made me transcend. I am now of a higher power because of this video. Like it is a combination of two things I truly love. Um, and maybe Megan and MGK are the Bella and Edward of our time. I we have to talk excited. about, we have to talk about the Instagram post. Oh yeah. The, the captions. Yeah. The caption, beautiful boy. She always calls him beautiful boy. The tale of two outcasts and star-crossed lovers caught in the throes of a torrid solar flare of a romance, romance featuring feverish obsession, guns, addiction, shamans, lots of blood, general mayhem, therapy, tantric night terrors, blind binding rituals, chakra sound baths, psychedelic hallucinations, organic smoothies, and the kind of sex that would make Lucifer clutch his rosary. <laughs> I know you love this. I'm sorry. I'm 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 of the opinion that this is just trying so hard to be Billy um, Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie, CA 1999-2000. And I just I can't bring myself. I can't bring myself to care. It's just so extra. They're so extra. Okay, I don't want to go on this for too long because I have a lot of feelings and thoughts about it. But I think there's a, a, a several things, right? Like. Yes, it's very Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie, of course. But, like, nothing's going to be as good as that. That was amazing. That was an incredible time in celebrity culture. But, like, they definitely give off the energy of, like, two Hot Topic employees, like, two mall goths who found each other in, like, 2007, which I love. Like, I love that. It's very nostalgic for me. But also, I feel like, I don't know, I'm rooting for Megan Fox in a way that I was not anticipating would means so much to me. Like, she was with Brian Austin Green, who's much older than her. They started dating when she was, like, 18, 19. Mm -hmm. This is, like, her first relationship since that ended. Of course, she's being a little cringe with it. Like, she's dating a guy that she probably would have dated around the time she did, like, Transformers, but if she were not with her much older, washed-up boyfriend. But, like, this is, like, you know, this was, like, around 2006. She probably would have been dating, like, Pete Wentz from Fall Out Boy, but we didn't get that chance because she was with 90210's Brian Austin Green for so many years and now we're finally getting this yeah I mean Megan Fox is really interesting to me because I feel like she was reviled at sort of the peak of her success so much people hated her people hated her and you know she was she was very smart and funny and she said really outrageous things yeah about like you know shitting in toilets and not flushing and she wanted to what did she say she she wanted to like drink Olivia Wilde's blood or something I don't want to yeah. I don't want to spread misinformation but like I mean she would say <laughs> shit like that all the time and it was really fun but people thought that she was you, you know it was it was intention grabbing and vulgar and they kind of dismissed her as a sex she, pot. she also said she spoke out against a lot of ways that she'd been treated horribly by directors she spoke out very famously against michael bay and thought that she was getting blacklisted by the industry because she was very honest about how bad her experience was on the transformer set like she she was very honest about it and at a time when women who spoke out against horrible work conditions in hollywood were 
literally getting blacklisted. Like they were no longer having careers. And so that was a big part of it too, is that she was, she was outspoken and she, she stood up for herself. Like she wasn't just hot. Like she, she said a lot of gross things, but she also stood up for herself. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that at the time people weren't, they didn't applaud her for that. You know, they were like, what, you know, why is she rocking the boat? Why is, why is this girl speaking, you know, or she's making this up, you know, like, what's the big deal? She's the biggest star in the world. Like, what's the big deal if Michael Bay made her audition when she was 16 wearing a bikini washing a car? And now... around the same time, like, you remember, like, Katherine Heigl speaking out against, like, Judd Apatow and, like, the knocked up set and, like, or, like, about the film. And, like, the idea is, like, you are not appreciative. Like, that's, like, what... That's what people thought at that time. Is like, if you said anything against the director, you did not appreciate the opportunity that you had. There are a million other girls who could have gotten it, too. Yeah, and now with the benefit of hindsight and with the Me Too movement, you know, we're sort of seeing uh, there, there's sort of a reassessment of her and this appreciation of what she was trying to do at the peak of her fame. And we see, you know, that she was treated horribly by the media yeah. and she did have a point. But I did I did see a comment in one of these videos about Megan, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly where somebody was like, "We the apology for Megan Fox, like, went too far. Like, <laughs> we've, we've girl bossed too far. Yeah, um, and it, I, mean, I think like there's a, a, there's some validity to that. It's a pretty particularly strange time, right? Like we've had like this, and why it makes sense that this couple in particular has gotten the amount of attention and also like weird sort of cultural light obsession, like fascination. I think maybe is a better word for people who aren't me. Um, but like Machine Gun Kelly released an album that was actually good. He's never done that before. And that's really fascinating. Like, he finally released an album that was a really good album. Like, he has this incredible pop-punk album after years of rapping horribly. And it's it's good. Like, that album is, like, you know, he worked with Travis Barker. Like, it's a really great album. So that happened last year. He's, like, best friends with Pete Davidson, who has had a grip on the culture for the last five years because of Ariana Grande and his dating, like he's best friends with him. So he's very adjacent to that dirtbag, you know, dirtbag boyfriend energy. And Megan Fox, people have been, she's been part of the cultural conversation because people have spoken about how we just reviled her for so many years and how she deserves to have a comeback and deserves to be reassessed by Hollywood in a way that people wouldn't talk about before. So it's a weird time for both of them where I think people care about them, indiv- cared about them individually. And then they come together as this like chaotic mall goth couple. So we love TikTok. We love the For You page. We love how it knows us better than we know ourselves. Like otherwise we wouldn't have this podcast. But we've also done a fair amount of reporting about the TikTok algorithm and how it can recommend increasingly extremist content. And basically... There's not a lot of information that TikTok makes publicly available about the algorithm, right? But from what we know, the stuff that comes up on your For You page is a product of numerous different metrics, like how long you watch a video or whether you like or comment on it. And the end result of that is that TikTok can, uh, with laser specificity, figure out what videos to show you in a very, very, very short amount of time. So basically for me, TikTok started out as standard dance videos and the occasional cooking video, like very generic content. And from what I engaged and interacted with, it determined in less than a day, basically, 
that I'm queer, that I'm a mom, that I'm a cat and dog lover, that I'm a former musical theater kid, like the bullet points of my identity um, that would be available to advertisers. And Brittany, I, I don't know what your For You page looks like. Oh, it is fully determined that I am single and live too close to Bushwick. <laughs> I mean, that's so uh, no. specific. <laughs> it is pinpointed, like, and it's like, here, dropped pin. That's where you are. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how it works. It's extremely specific, and it's very catered to who you are and what you are already interested in. But for some people, especially people who already harbor far-right views, therefore you pages might show them something else entirely. And TikTok's content moderation guidelines, while they exist, are not nearly strict enough to filter a lot of the really dangerous and hateful content out. So that's why we decided to have on Abby Richards. Abby is a researcher who studies misinformation and conspiracy theories on TikTok. She went viral about a year and a half ago for making uh, this pyramid of conspiracy theories. And she recently co-authored a pretty shocking study on TikTok and transphobia for Media Matters with researcher Olivia Little, and she's here to talk about her research. Thank you so much for having me. So why did you want to study transphobia and TikTok specifically? It's the radicalization potential for transphobia has been mentioned in a couple of studies before, but nothing that I had seen explicitly looking into it as a radicalization factor. And it is just so prolific on TikTok that I wanted to see whether it alone um, could potentially radicalize a feed. Can you talk a little bit about the TikTok algorithm and how it works just for context? Absolutely. So basically when you download TikTok, it immediately starts feeding you videos the second you open the app. And what it does is it responds to how you interact with those videos. So whether or not you essentially watch them all the way through, the more you're going to watch something and whether or not you follow the creator who posted that video affects whether they continue to show you similar content. Um, so it's really good. <laughs> the algorithm does a really, really good job of recommending content that it thinks you'll like. Uh, and it can be amazing for viewing experiences, but uh, can also do that and radicalize people into the far right. So what did your study find in terms of how transphobic content radicalizes people on TikTok? So we found that essentially when you started scrolling, uh, the algorithms begins with showing you quite uh, normal content with, you know, recipe videos, memes, maybe some dances, the typical kind of TikTok feed. And then once we were engaging exclusively with the transphobic content, we were also recommended homophobic content, misogyny, racism, um, later on more far-right figures, more anti-Semitism, and even some calls to violence. How long exactly did it take to get sucked into Nazi TikTok when you go down this rabbit hole? It's hard to say exactly at what point, but uh, we actually graphed it out and really what it looked like was around video 400 um, was when I really started seeing a spike in anti-Semitic content as well as like more far-right figures, um, more dog whistles and some more calls to violence. So 400 videos, that could be, I, I mean, that, that could be just like a couple hours, right? Oh, yeah. To, yeah. So TikTok videos are really short. 
and people also don't generally watch them all the way through. Mm -hmm. So a TikTok video could be as short as like six or seven seconds, and it could be as long as three minutes. It's not usual for most viewers to watch an entire video all the way through. Um, so when we calculated it out, we assumed that if the average viewer watches videos for an average of 20 seconds, 400 videos is just over two hours. Wow. That's wild. So you don't even have to engage fully with these videos, like watch them to the end in order for the algorithm to recommend increasingly extremist content? You definitely don't have to watch them all the way to the end. It kind of depends how you're engaging with them. I think watching them, um, engaging with them more and watching them more extensively, so like closer to the end, more to the end at a higher rate than you would with other videos is the sort of thing that would push you yeah. Uh, yeah, into those ecosystems. And sort of beginning the the journey of the study and was finding people who were posting transphobic content and who are the sort of main purveyors of of this content that the algorithm had to follow at first to to kind of see where the rabbit hole would go. So we started with 14 accounts that we knew had posted transphobic content before. Um, a couple of them are major influencers who mm -hmm. have like maybe been banned before or just continue to prevail on TikTok. But a lot of the time, these videos will come from smaller accounts. That's not uncommon to see is more of a micro influencer sort of ecosystem because uh, they get banned so quickly. So a lot of the time it's more determined by how viral the video is rather than uh, how popular the creator is, but um, mm -hmm. in general, you know, coming from a lot of men being transphobic. Yeah. And how, what is TikTok's response time usually when, when those videos go viral? Like, do they take them down pretty quickly? Is action placed in a sort of rapid way or is it rare to actually see it be taken down? My experience with TikTok, and this isn't in the research that we did, this is more of like my personal experience, mm -hmm. um, has been that they are pretty slow to take things down. Um, often, once you point it out, uh, they will. Like it's they're, they're flagging on the platform, um, will often fail to take things down. But if you, you know, write an article about it or tweet about it, a lot of the time it does get attention then and get removed. But that can also be and often is, you know, days, weeks, months after the damage has been done, after it has gone as viral as it really was going to go in the first place. Yeah. Have you heard from TikTok at all about the results of your study? I personally have not yet. I mean, as, as someone who has had conversations with TikTok, you know, for, for a wide variety of stories, I mean, I can tell you, there's very little transparency on their end regarding exactly how the algorithm works. Um, and I, I would say very little proactiveness in terms of removing content that, you know, could potentially be dangerous or cause harm. I mean, Abby, Abby, you and I have talked a lot about, about um, sex trafficking myths and urban legends and how they proliferate on TikTok specifically. And I mean, we, we, we both know that these videos can get millions and millions of views, um, even though they're based on absolutely zero evidence and spread misinformation before TikTok will, you know, even begin to think about taking them down. Yeah, it does seem like TikTok 
has not figured out an adequate way yet to uh, stop those videos from going viral. And then even once they do, they don't seem to have a consistent system of what is harm and what is not. Um, I know that there are lots of users, like TikTok creators, who are pushing for more transparency when it comes to their algorithm and their content moderation guidelines. But those are, at the moment, pretty opaque. What, what guidelines do you think TikTok should put in place to prevent radicalization on the platform? They, I mean, I am not an expert in algorithms themselves, and I am not like a expert in, you know, ethical tech, but I think that they should be working with those sorts of experts to figure out how to stop that content from going viral and from pushing people into those rabbit holes in the first place. Um, I think offering people outs, offering people better information in the first place and directing them to engaging and informative content is a really good first step. Why do you think transphobia specifically is such a radicalization vector? I think that people really don't understand transness and don't understand what it means to be trans and instead of making the effort to understand it are therefore uh, much more willing to just hate it and you know, take these memes at face value and just be like, oh, there only are two, two genders. Um, and that folds in really conveniently um, to far-right ideology in how it kind of idealizes this, like, fictitious idea of gender norms and this, uh, you know, idealized, like, romanticized past. This is fascinating. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So now it's time for Himbo of the Week, wherein we crown a new elite himbo of TikTok. Now, a true himbo knows no age, gender, or other demographic boundaries. And in this spirit, our Himbo of the Week is the grandfather of at Katie Bernstein, who is... For some reason, it's unexplained in the TikTok, and perhaps it's better off not explaining. A Dua Lipa <laughs> super fan. And this old man was gifted with Dua Lipa concert tickets for his 80th birthday. My grandpa loves Dua Lipa, so we got him tickets for his 80th birthday. Does he say Dua Leapy? That's Wait. what I've been trying to figure out. Yeah, he does. Okay, I just want to confirm. I think he says like Dua Lipe. <laughs> yeah. Like um, like with an accent. Like a grandpa. Like, like Wendy Williams saying Dula Peep. Yes, yes. Like Wendy Williams Which saying Dula Peep. Her canonical name now. As much as I could hear this old Jewish man say a Dua Lipe, a Dua Lipe concert, are you shitting me over and over again? Ultimately... I award him Himbo of the Week for the following two reasons. The first is that he's clearly horny for Dua Lipa. I feel like that's evident, right? Yeah, guaranteed. Like, why else would this old man who posts Salon.com links on Facebook yeah. and, and buys locks and does the New York Times crossword puzzle, like, why would he like Dua Lipa other than for horny reasons? Yeah. Because she's super hot. 
<laughs> and I respect it. It's true. That. It's true. And second of all, and this might be controversial. I mean, it, it, you listeners, you you don't you can't see. But Brittany, would you would you say this old man is hot? Yeah, I would absolutely say he's hot. Yeah, he's a good looking old guy. Yeah. I'm I'm ready to be his sugar baby if he'd like. Oh, absolutely. I well, mean, he seems to be in a very know. happy but marriage. Grandpa's not buying his own concert tickets, so maybe I won't be. That's true. <laughs> he can't, <laughs> Forgot he can't afford it. <laughs> so maybe I'll move on to another hot grandpa. But he is a hot grandpa. If he if he can't that. afford his own Dua Lipa concert tickets, then he probably doesn't have like a boat. So yeah, he might yeah. not be worth your time. Yeah. <laughs> but he's got BDE in his way, and I hope he gets some poppers yeah. from the gays in the seat, next seat over, and he dances his ass off to levitating. Like, I pray for that for him. And I don't know if you saw the follow-up videos, but... I did not, Dua, no. Dua Lipa had posted the talk, TikTok on her Instagram, and they basically... the There's, like, two follow-up videos where it's Katie FaceTiming her grandpa, telling him about that, and he's so excited and also, she asked him what his favorite songs were, and he gets very overwhelmed by having to choose. But he loves, like, um, New Rules. He calls it Rules. New Rules. Uh, <laughs> he really loves. And he also loves um, That Kind of Woman, which is a little bit of the Dua Lipa deep cut, because it's only on the Future Nostalgia remix album. Who introduced this man good. to Dua Lipa? I don't know. I mean, it was all over last year. Maybe he also got bored and was like, I guess I'll just listen to the new albums that are out. And he did. And I'm happy for him. The album, the album is good. The remix album I love. Like, I'm glad he's really getting a, a whole, a whole Dua Lipa, Dua, Dua Lipa experience. Dua Peep. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop This Week in TikTok, brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos, executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Shelsey, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, edited by Dan Stein, and original music composed by Daniel Mertzloft. See you next week. Listener.